It's another beautiful Monday and we're super excited to be back here for another episode of the Musel Podcast. We are your hosts, Jama, Hadi and Dengone. And on this podcast, as usual, we share a microphone for fresh conversations on current affairs and women's realities beyond a single story. Thank you all so much for all of the feedback from the episodes. We're back again this week um, for another interesting conversation that we hope you all will join us in. But before we do that, um, the usual check-ins. I realize we never check in on you guys who listen to us. <laughs> We're only here. I'm going to have you. How do you have you? I'm good. And then we move on. So tell us how you're feeling. Tell us what you're looking forward to this week. Um, we'll be super excited to 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 hear um, what your goals are. And just even if it is rest, I'm looking forward to all the people telling us that their goals for this week um, are rest. So over to you, ladies. What is this week looking like? <laughs> I don't like the silence. <laughs> work. You're still working? Case. I'm on break. I can't believe it. Ha 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 ha. Wow. Must be great. Congratulations <laughs> to you and your break. <laughs> People are feeling a bit salty in the studio today, but that's okay. Hadi, what's up? I've been good, girl. Mm. Um, um, it's been all right. These past few days, I've been a little migraine heavy. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of spent most of my days in bed trying to relax it off but apart from that it's been okay so far how far are we from the 40 let's not discuss it <laughs> has it gone down at least what has gone the down? number Mone, how are you doing stress republic is stressing me <laughs> oh your stress republic itself <laughs> <laughs> yes i had somebody say i, I don't know i need to find it weird. like everybody in gambia is stressed <laughs> country and i i totally agree this country stresses me out every day to a point where i think i'm mentally checking out mm. I'm, I'm just here physically and i'm I've, i think i've mentally checked out i'm i'm not good i'm tired i'm good today i'm tired i'm tired i'm tired of this country Everyone is stressed. I think a lot of people have mentally checked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are just really existing. No longer living in the yeah. country. Such a shame. I mean, but also, I've been enjoying going to the trade fair. I think that's been like oh, yeah. one of the highlights. I was but just my saying... pocket's not enjoying it. <laughs> and I have a broke semester as well. Who's been, who's been draining my, my account. <laughs> yeah, I <dear. laughs> It's my engineer. I've been looking at your house my hands, but she's going to pay me. I'm investing. No, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been enjoying my break. I... How I can't believe it. Four weeks. Oh, well, they gave you the four weeks. When I got the approval, I was shouting and screaming <laughs> in my room. Like, I can't believe it. <laughs> I know I'll be doing a bit of work on the side, but it's just good to know I don't have to wake up in the morning and have and to have be, to you be, know, in Or the have office. to do something. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, we hope you all are doing well as well. Let us know. Hashtag is MusoPod um, on all social media platforms. Let us know how your week no has respect. been. That's M-U-S-S-O-P-O-D. And I can handle it so again. Ngo is the spelling bee champion here. She's asking people to spell things. <laughs> so we're going to go right into our topic for this week. Um, so I think two episodes ago, we were talking about um, the state of insecurity in the Gambia. Mm-hmm. And all of us really just talking about our fears of living here with all of the attacks that have been happening and all of that. And so today we are discussing a topic that's kind of related, or at least that people have been making links to with regards to insecurity in the country. And um, that's the issue of drug use or um, substance use and even going further, 
to abuse and what could be the possible linkages um, to the increase in insecurity and attacks and violence that we're seeing in the country. Mm -hmm. And as usual, before we get into it, we share a quote that um, basically leads us into the conversation. And obviously on Musso, we say we're looking at things from a feminist perspective. And um, this is a quote from um, an article that we got from AWID authored by Fenya Fischler. I hope I, I, I pronounced that right. <laughs> and the quote goes, Feminism calls on us to see the specific experiences of all women, including women who use drugs. Women face particular challenges because of the oppressive structures within which we live. For women who use drugs, their identities as women and people who use drugs are intertwined. So that's our quote for this week. Mm -hmm. And like we said, we're discussing drugs. First, what do we think about the quote? What What are our initial thoughts? Um, for me, I would definitely say that drug use is a feminist issue, just the same way as sex work is and the same way as sex education and all of that is. And um, it's important that we talk about it and stop, I guess, looking at it from a view of shame. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad, like, because I was reading the article and I was so the, it was very spot on and I'm so happy that like these things even though like they're not discussed as much as they should be are starting to come into the front lines because there's so much stigma around drug use to begin yeah. with but especially for women yeah. because oh, like, even stuff as small as smoking cigarettes women are looked badly upon let mm. alone um, marijuana use or mm. cocaine use and stuff of that sort but it's like if we don't talk about the fact that like women are drug users too then if they need the help, where will they get the help from? Mm. So, so we'll be digging into that. And I think it's interesting because mm -hmm. then the feminism really is bringing all of these different lenses. We're yeah. looking at the gender perspective, the class um, perspective. So mm -hmm. all of those many intersections, that's what we're trying to look at. And moving away from the very simplistic way, I think um, we usually talk about drug use, drug use or abuse um, mm -hmm. in Gambia. Go, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I like the last part of the quote mm -hmm. about women who use drugs and, you know, their identities and as women and people who use drugs being intertwined. Because generally, when we think um, drug use or drug abuse, we tend to think men. Mm -hmm. But also that women who use drugs are seen as less of a woman, mm -hmm. less than. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you don't get to be treated the same way as, you know, a person in need of help or a person in need of assistance if you're addicted to whatever substance you're using. Mm -hmm. So I like that she makes that connection because yeah. really you can't deal with one without the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a, it's a wholesome game. Mm -hmm. But before we get into the issue of the abuse itself, um, so obviously we have a resident expert, <laughs> a psych major in the house, mm -hmm. doctor to me. <laughs> and I'm just very passionate about drug use. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's why I wanted you to just get us into, I guess, is it the psychology of drug use? What are the things basically that push people towards first trying to because then getting to abuse is a journey mm -hmm. um it gets to a point where you're heavily dependent on the substance for whatever reason mm -hmm. so um just walk us through that psychology of um drug use yeah the drug use in general a lot of the time right um if you look at a lot of countries where there's high rates of drug use and drug abuse it tends to do with economic reasons mm -hmm. where there's not much opportunities, people are bored, and so, especially with young people, that they don't feel like there's anything else going for them, so you end up resorting to drug mm -hmm. use. Like, if you look at, um, there was this documentary I watched a while, so I, disclaimer, <laughs> I'm very, very passionate about, like, you know, decriminalizing drug use mm -hmm. and just stuff around drug use in general, 
and I tend to watch a lot of documentaries around it and I think I'm not sure if it was Uganda or one African country where they were addicted to was it cough syrup Mm. and with a lot of the time what you hear is we're bored we don't have opportunities we're not working one person on that documentary was saying they hadn't worked in two years Mm -hmm. so all they really had to do was was use drugs and i think especially when you think about it in the gamian context we're seeing a place where it's like we're in constant economic recession where young people are coming back from back way or you're in menial jobs that are not paying enough there's really not much going on for you to the point where like you know drug use seems to be the only Mm. option for you Mm. i was also I'm not sure if I read this or if I watched a TED talk on it, <laughs> but um, there was this guy who was talking about an experiment that he was doing with rats when it came to, um, I think it was cocaine use or something of that sort. And he had like um, one, you know, two two groups. One group was given, um, actually it was one group. And so they had the option of either like just staying alone mm-hmm. or going into the place where they had like water cocaine in the water mm-hmm. and every time the um the rats would choose the cocaine in the water until they were actually they made like some kind of amusement park or theme for them where they had access to so mm-hmm. after that like you see that the patterns in drug use changed for the rats mm-hmm. where instead of always going towards the cocaine they were going to other opportunities mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. them and so again it mimics just human nature where yeah. it's like if you have something else going for you you won't necessarily feel the need to um start using drugs because it's like it's not just addiction but it's also about whether you have support whether you have resources that will help you win whether you have something else to look forward to and whether you have something to live for Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time you know drug use is it's it's a very lonely journey and again because of the stigma that's around it you just assume that if um no one no one's going to understand mm-hmm. so even if you're using you're very discreet about it so mm-hmm. you won't even if you do want to get help you won't get the help that you need and even if it's someone that doesn't want to stop doing using drugs there's no harm reduction techniques mm-hmm. where people are able to use drugs safely without um harming themselves or anyone around them but we'll go into that again when we talk about the kinds of drugs that are acceptable and the whole class issue around it but i hope that kind of answered your question yeah it did it's it's pretty interesting because um i think like you mentioned a lot of the time it's like oh kim gay use drug kim gay yahuna and stuff so a lot of stigma a lot of social stigma that comes with people not trying to understand really um, what this and you talk to a lot of people it's they say it's a means of escape it is. Mm-hmm. from the harsh realities that they have to deal with so mm-hmm. if you are high up there you don't have to think about maybe you being hungry yeah. um or having to deal with you know depression, depression or poverty mm-hmm. and just being reminded about being yeah. a failure for example yeah. we've talked about failure mm-hmm. um on this podcast before and how all of us really are afraid of <laughs> you know failing and each one of us has different ways of dealing you know, with failure or with that fear of failure. And for some people, it is resorting to um, drugs. Um, Go, any thoughts? No, um, with Hadi speaking about, you know, what pushes people Mm. into using drugs, all the situations she described are things that also lead people into depression Mm. and frustration. Mm. So you can see that there's also a link in your mental health, Mm. the state of your mental health and what it pushes you to do sometimes Mm. to escape that. Because if you are you are from a very underprivileged background, like Hadi said, you don't have a job, your parents are struggling, you're struggling, 
that in itself nyaka halis like that they depressed yep. mm-hmm. you know not having access to means of solving your problems in itself can lead to depression now to escape that de- depression and you don't just get into using drugs mm-hmm. you start by experimenting yeah. and here the reality of this country is a lot of people start experimenting on drugs in their early teenage years mm-hmm. when they are like 14 15 mm-hmm. especially with even younger, younger now. yeah even younger especially with younger boys when they are in high school they're str- perhaps they're struggling with school and everything else or just no more peer pressure uh-huh. that leads them into you know getting into substance abuse you start trying weed or trying cigarettes alcohol. and things alcohol yeah. and things like that and in like three four years you're already addicted uh. right so it it then becomes a cycle that's hard for you to get out of mm. and you it, it also makes it harder to see light at the end of the tunnel yeah. because all you see is poverty and what mm. you're living in and my boss always talks about how um I guess we'll get into this deeper later, but how there are certain crimes that are that uh, there are certain offenses in this country that criminalize poverty basically mm-hmm. because when you look at the root cause, it always comes down to poverty yeah uh, drug abuse in this country is largely pushed by poverty mm-hmm. it's always poverty that's behind it so holy basically so let's so, yeah. dig into that because in Gambia we've seen different stories right we've had um very recently the case of oh we there was a lot of drugs or cocaine or whatever found at the ports Mm -hmm. and then radio silence nobody knows what has happened with that case um Mm -hmm. there's not much information but every day we're seeing on the police soap you know bulk terek like a whole i think 390 kilos of um, cannabis or whatever Mm -hmm. you know so let's get into that because obviously there's a classist angle to this Mm -hmm. who gets criminalized who gets um even when like they're so for example we have the laws yes but then who gets the harder um hits from the law Mm -hmm. who gets to escape even when perhaps they're doing this on a larger scale Mm -hmm. um and dealing with even harder drugs Mm -hmm. i was Um, just going to say that from the number of years that i've been working within the law like i've only been caught in about two years but before that i've worked at the justice minister as a clerk and so i've been in the legal field um, for time. about what? A long enough time. <laughs> 2012 to now. That's yeah. like nine, nine years. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nine years that I've been in the system as a clerk and whatever. And in that, the one thing that I've observed is most of the people who are convicted for trafficking, drug trafficking, especially uh-huh. as uh, with cannabis, when you go to court, they are mostly people from underprivileged backgrounds. Uh-huh. I, I, maybe, I maybe, but I can't remember seeing someone from, you know, a uh, quote-unquote, like, high uh, middle class or Mm -hmm. whatever family in court for drug trafficking or drug possession. That doesn't mean that these people are not selling drugs Mm -hmm. or that they are not smoking it or using it. No, they are using it, and we all know this. Mm -hmm. But these people are really the ones who are caught by the law. Why? Mm -hmm. Because, like we said, there's a classist angle. If I'm from a um, well-privileged... If I'm from a privileged family, there's a very high chance that if I'm arrested with drugs... So one mm. person from my family or family friend or whatever would be able to bail me out. The connections. And yeah, the connections. Mm. You can work your connections and get out of the system. This is the reality of the country. This is not something that we're making up. You can get out of the system. And there's this thing where I think um, the punishment for being found with drugs or something, I think the fine is a million dollars or some high figure like that. For what kind of drugs though? For trafficking. For drug trafficking. Oh, okay. Just drug trafficking. I think it's It one... doesn't matter what type of... 
Um, I'm not really sure on that, but the ones I've seen have mostly been cannabis, mm. weed, and for that, they, I think the fine is about one million or something like that in default ten years imprisonment. So if if I'm if I'm from a well-to-do family, if I'm convicted, even there's a very high chance that my parents or my family yeah. members can put up that, that that amount of money, and you know I'll I'll walk away. But if you are from from an underprivileged family. You know you're straight going to mile two. Mm-hmm. You're going to mile two straight away. And I have this conversation with boys I, I know, you know. And I say to them that you're from a poor family. If you get arrested with drugs, that's the end of you. You're mm-hmm. going to go to jail for maybe five, ten years. That's it for you. Because you don't have that access, that social capital to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So there's that classist angle to it where the implementation, 95 or maybe 99% of the time, only... Um, falls on people from underprivileged backgrounds. And the, the reason that these people are actually engaged in selling drugs is because they're trying to make a living, mm-hmm. right? So Not I justifying to... it, but that's that's the reason. Yeah, just before coming back to Hadi, so you mentioned um, the fine or the alternative, mm-hmm. which is serving jail time. Because mm-hmm. I remember an old friend that was in remand and came up like, everybody, well, the bulk of the people in remand mm-hmm. are caught for these petty crimes. Yeah. So they don't even get to, so they can be in remand for like two, three, four mm-hmm. years and they're not even getting to court. It's mm-hmm. not like this, they've been sentenced mm-hmm. um, to any prison terms whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Is this also like what we see from your experience and from what you've seen? Is it like what we have seen as well with, you know, high profile people, well to do, connected people um, when they have their cases? No, generally, that's the thing. Because, like I said before, we have this thing where a lot of our offenses criminalize poverty. Mm-hmm. Petty theft, you go, yeah. get them, you're sent to remand, and you're in jail. Mm-hmm. Maybe for the next one year, two years, your case would not proceed. We've seen cases where maybe the person or the complainant involved is. F- is a, a well-connected person mm. and, you know, the case is taken to court, prosecuted, and in a matter of days, it's the done. thing is over. Meanwhile, there are people who are in remand for a year, two, five years, mm. maybe, and their cases have still not been completed. So you have that person waiting in court because one, they can't afford a lawyer that's yeah. going to bail them out. The National Legal Aid Office is overworked, mm. so they cannot really, honestly, they cannot handle all the cases. So mm. you are there, you're just languishing there because you do not have the, the financial ability to deal with these things. Whereas, if we're being honest, it's a whole different case for mm. someone from a middle-class family or from a well-to-do family. Mm. You, you are put on remand. You, your family can afford a lawyer who will fight, fight tooth and nail to get you out on bail, mm-hmm. and then you go out until your case is, but if you if, until your case is finished. But if you are not that connected or you don't have that access to social capital, that's the end you of just you. Wait you your yeah, time you're just there. waiting. You're just waiting. The courts, their dockets are f- full. full. The legal aid lawyers, they have too much on their plate, and they can't and really. They don't have enough staff. Too. Yeah, under resource and under staff to handle all of those cases. So you're just there, the Hariala. Like that's why when you go, actually, um, prison officers have said that when we talk about prison overcrowding, it's actually at the remand wing. Yeah, and that's why yeah. we have overcrowding because that's where you have all these hundreds of people waiting for just their waiting. cases to end. And because we criminalize poverty, like I said, petty offenses like petty theft and things like that, minor offenses for which you should be out on bail, mm. you are there in prison waiting. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to say that with a lot of I think we all know a major drug dealer or two, number one. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't. Shavade. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there were those big names that people yeah, would always hear in the country. Yeah, yeah. Knows. yeah. Hear them that everyone knows mm. because they're in cahoots with the police. Mm. Yeah, I just wanna. Okay, so I feel like we all know at least one <laughs> drug dealer mm. or two major names, 
And um, the irony also that is not lost in me is the fact that, like, if we know it, obviously the police know it, obviously everyone else. Because it's like, um, for, you know now how, like, there's so... Oh, also, I found out that we're making cocaine in the Gambia now. <laughs> not just cocaine, ecstasy, molly, and which leads me back to the fact that, like, with ecstasy, with molly, which are pills, you can easily get away with transporting them. Because police is doing less stop here, um, you can just tell them, oh, this is aspirin or this is headache medication and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And so these high-class drugs that people from the upper echelon are using are not going to be easily um, detected. Detected. So which leads back to Ngone's um, point about um, this criminaliz- criminalization in itself being something that's for the poor mm-hmm. and not necessarily for richer drug users. And also, I'm just thinking about the fact that like a lot of drug dealers, like the major ones that we know, have criminal records outside mm. of the country but then they come home and are still able to continue doing what they're doing without the law being involved and um anyway Lee, me i always say drug use is not uh, a criminal justice issue it mm. is absolutely not and it's something that the police need to stay away from because i'm thinking about um so portugal is was the only country that's like decriminalized drug use and this is mm. from like trying to fight the war on drugs for like almost a decade with no end in sight because in the 90s um they had pretty sure he was a dictator because he ruled for like 40 something 40 years and like portugal had no access to outside of the country you couldn't even drink coke coca-cola yeah it was really bad (laughs) so after that um when he was ousted they were all of a sudden open to the world. Mm. So that added an influx of drug use. Mm. Like it was nonstop, like over hundreds of people were overdosing a day. So they tried criminalization. They tried doing so many things to stop it. So this is like all of the 90s. And then finally in 2000, they decided to decriminalize drug use. Mm. So from that decriminalization, like needle, everything just went down. Mm. And it's honestly one of the most holistic approaches that I've ever seen to drug use. Like, well, it is ever in the world Mm. because not only is so selling is criminal but using is not criminal so if you're caught with drugs like you'll basically just go and talk to someone and they'll see if you need help or not and if you need help if you are you know if you are an addict Mm. they'll um take you to what's it called rehab Rehab. (laughs) they'll take you to rehab they'll um ensure that you're getting the help that you need help you get a job after that Mm. they have a needle exchange program where they'll give you new needles and all of that to use safely Mm -hmm. because again you know it's not a criminal issue i'm saying all of this to basically make it make it make people understand that it's a public health issue not a criminal issue and once people have the help that they need the reliance on drugs is less Mm -hmm. and also they can use safely because using drugs simply using drugs is not um harmful Mm-hmm. so <laughs> I know people are listening thinking maybe I'm like a huge <laughs> proponent of saying? drug use <laughs> <laughs> no but it's important that, that we look at all of no, these different angles because yeah. I feel like we usually look at it from a single point yeah. it's bad it's bad and stop it, it it's so bad like I think you know was it two two years ago I lost a, a friend of mine to drug mm-hmm. use and he I was older than him at that point and um, you know he I think he succumbed. it was heroin that killed mm-hmm. him but I remember, like, you know how our community is. Everyone's so judgmental. Everyone's, yep. like, doing the whole... Like, I feel like if he had the help that he needed mm-hmm. and if people were actually there for him versus, like, just seeing everyone that's on drugs as a lost cause mm-hmm. and as someone that's just automatically bad and criminal, there's so many lives that we would not lose. Mm-hmm. So even, like, the whole drug use in itself, criminalizing drug use, 
is such a huge economic loss and it's you know it's a hum it's a loss to humanity and there's so many things and back to portugal again criminalization i just want to add this one part from at this point they're i think they're on budget for police use police's basically policing, policing in general <laughs> in general when it comes to drug use is 10 percent of the budget and mm. then about 70 something goes towards services and I implore all of you to just go read about it. Hmm. If you want to find out more, tweet actually tweet us on Muso and I can send you links. Hmm. Because the way the country changed from just being more empathetic and seeing people as people who mm-hmm. need help versus seeing people as wayward and lost, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it made such a tremendous, tremendous difference. So we'll dig deeper into the issue of stigma, mm-hmm. especially um, how it manifests in Gambian society with especially the young people um, who are using drugs, who are using addictive substances, I guess. This also includes alcohol. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to go for a quick break at this point, And when we come back, the conversation will continue. If you have any thoughts, you can share them with us. The hashtag is Musopod, um, M-U-S-S-O-P-O-D. We'll be right back after the break. Muso podcast in case you've forgotten <laughs> in the short time that we took a break uh, on this episode uh, as a reminder we're discussing the issue of substance abuse and um, the linkages that people are making to the state of insecurity in the Gambia and um, before the break we had just basically talked about the psychology of drug use uh, and this also includes alcohol use um, the journey towards abuse what are the different factors that should be taken into consideration that are not usually um, and the whole issue of criminalizing drug use, who does it affect the most, who gets to go off because they're well-to-do, they're privileged. Um, again, if you have any contributions you would want to make, we're super happy to um, connect with you and engage. So yeah, obviously it's a Muso podcast, right? And we say we're looking at things from a gender perspective. In the first half, we were talking about uh, the issue of women using drugs. And I think our quote of the week also summarized it very well for us um we see in the gambia obviously even with cigarettes when women smoke it's stuff day to keep a bun um we've also seen cases where people even simply dismiss you or conclude that you're a sex worker because mm-hmm. oh the sex workers are the ones uh, who smoke cigarettes. cigarettes because it's a part of their lifestyle mm-hmm. they're the ones who drink alcohol as well because it's a part of their lifestyle um what are our thoughts around this because we see a lot of shaming it happens with everyone, mm-hmm. men, women, everywhere. But then with women, there's that extra layer of shame, of stigma. 
um, of pointing fingers and just completely dismissing you as a bad person mm. when you indulge in drug use of whatever form. I think in the Gambia it comes down to the fact that as a woman, there is a we've we've talked about this before. Where if you're a woman, there's a certain um, criteria or whatever that you're supposed to fit in. It's or it's a mold that you're supposed to fit mm. in. And if you're doing anything outside of that mold, then you're seen as a bad bad person mm. and not worthy of attention or not worthy of love or anything. Mm-hmm. So I think this um, in itself fuels addiction mm-hmm. for women who, who experiment with drugs. Because if I start, um, example, smoking weed, of course I'm hiding it. If mm-hmm. I get to a point where I'm addicted to it, it would be very difficult, more difficult for me to um, seek help than yeah. it would be for an average man. Because mm-hmm. for a man to be addicted to it, that's something that you know, you can flaunt. That's it. But if you're a woman and you have a substance um, abuse issue or you're addicted to a certain substance, then you find it very hard to seek help. And you also are very likely not going to even see it as addiction that you need yeah. help. Remember a few months ago, I was at um, a nail salon at a certain part of town. And there were some women there, young, very young women. And they were speaking. And one of them was like, Oh, yesterday I saw your neighbor at this particular place. Oh, she was the one who even gave me the stuff. So at first I was like, wait, what are they talking about? Because I I was like, to me, it was a shock. Because I've Mm. never seen or heard young women speak so openly about druggies. They didn't mention drugs, but the way they were speaking, you could tell Mm. that's what they were were talking about. And the other one was like, so did you take take some? She was like, yeah, when I was even coming, I was... I was way up there. So... That was like that was a shock to me. I was so shocked. I didn't look up because I was like, it would be so awkward if I start staring at them. But I remember, I think I, I may have tweeted about it. I was like, wow, like, okay, we really, really have a drug problem in this country. If it, if it, if it has gotten to a point where young women are openly talking about it, because if you if you're a young woman and you're using drugs, there's a very high chance that you would hide it. But if it's at a point where you're comfortable to talk about it, then we have a serious, um, a, a very serious drug issue. And I think in the, even in the way that I reacted to it, I may have, if I had said something, I would have shamed, I would yeah, have shamed them. Yeah, mm. I would have changed that. I, I would have shamed them unknowingly or unintentionally just because of the way we're all trained. Mm. This is something that's in us. It's something that it pops out without you even realizing it. And even in the way that I've discussed it with other people, it was with the angle of shaming them that like, you know, these young women are actually using drugs. Like, mm. why are they using drugs? Instead of looking at the angle of, how did they even access drugs? Point, yeah. What help can we give to these people? <laughs> you know, I have something to add because mm. even with the stigma that we're talking about now, assuming that they're addicts versus recreational users is also stigmatic. Mm. Yeah. Because we've just assumed that, oh my God, this person is wayward because they're using drugs, so they yeah. have to be addicted to it. Mm. Versus, you know, the fact that not all drug uses, yeah, yeah. versus mm. not all drug uses addictive at all. Mm. And especially if you're brain and the way you're wired and stuff you're not necessarily someone with an addictive personality Mm -hmm. then recreational drug use is in itself recreational drug use and Mm -hmm. it's not an addiction Mm -hmm. and so seeing it as an addiction instantly and pitying Mm -hmm. someone Mm -hmm. because you see them using drugs and automatically feeling bad for them you don't realize it but you're showing that you have some kind of moral high ground by not partaking in the same vices that they're partaking in Mm -hmm. and we all have our vices so i just i I just (laughs) wanted to add that because i see that i mean i'm guilty of it too Mm -hmm. but i see it in a lot of conversations especially and again this is a it's a this is another it's a feminist issue because of stuff like this Mm -hmm. because you think that you know especially if you're an activist 
a feminist activist you're um you're fighting for all these different things but you don't it's like sex work again i link Mm -hmm. drug use and sex work quite a lot because they have the same stigmas going Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. because you can be someone that's you know that's smart that's empowered that knows what decisions to make and still you know still be a drug user Mm -hmm. or still partake in sex work because and i'm not even saying that because you partake in sex work then you're not smart or anything Mm -hmm. of that sort but you can make the choice to do that what again it's it's about the safety of how you're using. Mm-hmm. No, people are really going to be like... <laughs> They're really going to be like, this woman is, is, is advocating for drug use. No, what you're saying is right. Because the, 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 the comparisons that you're making, there's mm-hmm. also um, an example of in Senegal, mm-hmm. right, right next door, where they decriminalize sex work. And mm-hmm. in a matter of years, they were able to lower the infection, newly infection rates of mm-hmm. HIV because now sex workers can openly go to a hospital, declare themselves as sex workers, get the help that they need, get, get and regular they get, checkups they're registered. and things like they're registered. that. And they're they're registered. Care and and this also and pro- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also protects them from abuse and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it's the yeah. same, because like, I'm... Because drug use is also pretty rampant among sex workers. Mm-hmm. So both of them, again, they go hand in hand, like, mm-hmm. so much that you should... It's very hard to talk about one without talking about the, the other. other yeah. Because I think even if you... Like the Senegal example of um, decriminalizing sex work, that helps these sex workers get the help that they mm-hmm. need, mm-hmm. especially in, in, when it comes to any kind of help mm-hmm. that they need. Mm-hmm. So maybe the burden or the stress that you would have of, oh, I can't get a checkup or mm-hmm. I can't get this, you know, I can't get condom use or mm-hmm. I can't report if I'm ab- abused by a client, mm-hmm. that might lead to drug use. That's lessening. Yeah. So because that's lessening, you know, there's less worry and you can go ahead and do your job, aka the oldest job in the book, aka yeah. the job that we need to stop <laughs> pretending that we're so morally against mm-hmm. when especially when we're using them yeah, and seeking the services. Services, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not only seeking the services, where you know porn is very rampant. All our relationships are transactional and sexual yeah. is a transactional it's a, transa- it's a it's a bigly transactional relationship. So we need to stop pretending that, like, you know, we have this moral high ground above so many different classes of people. And I think especially, like, with feminists and feminist activists, it's so important that we lay the space and the foundation to discuss these things because women are affected a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the fact that, like, um, drug use, there's a two-part factor in it. If women who use drugs are most likely to be abused... Um, you know, sexually violated mm-hmm. or domestic, being domestic violence situations, mm-hmm. and then there's the fact that their partners who are drug users mm-hmm. are also most li- more likely to abuse them. them yeah. So it's something that we can't shy away from, and it's something that we really need to start thinking about how to tackle. So many intersections, <laughs> and that's why it's important we dig into all of them because that one lens is really not doing um, any good to anyone at mm-hmm. all, the society as a whole, but also the people who are directly affected um, by these issues. There's one issue that um, people bring up, and I think it's very interesting. People, I've had a few people say or ask um, why alcohol is legal and mm-hmm. drugs are illegal when they ultimately, when used. In a in an in abusive way, they, mm. in excess, they all have the same effect. So how come we have normalized use of one and criminalized the use of the other? Yes, Hadi, that question is for you. <laughs> no, it goes back to the whole class thing. Mm-hmm. 
I'm gonna give an uh, mm-hmm. an example for America, right? Mm-hmm. So in America, before like opiates are now now there's a war on you know opioids and stuff like that. But before mm-hmm. it was accepted because guess who are you using it? Middle middle Which class, women. yeah, women, middle class white women mm-hmm. and middle class white men. It's the same for cocaine, mm-hmm. but crack cocaine, which is basically which you know is very similar to regular cocaine mm-hmm. is illegal because it's been linked to black people not just illegal mm-hmm. but it's made it seem like the more harmful drug mm-hmm. same as heroin same as weed mm-hmm. <laughs> of all drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> same as weed that they've linked to you know just being bad mm-hmm. and it's linked to blackness and it's just linked to other racist stereotypes mm-hmm. so with a lot of these you know alcohol is the same thing too if more white people were overdosing and dying from alcohol and also, oh, also the financial, the economic aspect to whatever they the can, sales, yeah, yeah, whatever they can tax and you know mm. do it in a way that they can get more money out of it, then they'll go ahead and make it okay. a- available and okay. So it's it's something. It's very. It's a racist. It's a very 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 racist um system, and again, it links back to capitalism, and all of that stuff. And I, and I also think um, when, in terms of um, decriminalization, when something is decriminalized mm-hmm. uh, or when something is legal, then it's easy to control it, hmm. right? If, 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 let's say, importation of cannabis were legal, mm-hmm. hypothetically, if it were legal in the Gambia, mm-hmm. then whoever is importing it in the, in the Gambia would go through a certain process. Mm-hmm. Then you would know who's bringing what quantity. But now, because it's illegal, people are smuggling in. Uh, uh, sorry, smuggling it. Do you my English? <laughs> smuggling it <laughs> into the it's country. It's been a while since we heard that. <laughs> you know, people are smuggling it into the country. And that then also, you know, I think it's a huge economic loss for the state, honestly. Talking about economic honestly. loss. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a presidential aspirant. Who I'm voting for. <laughs> Yeah, because um, I was going to... So, Hadi, you had mentioned distinguishing between addiction and re- recreational use. Mm. But I think the one aspect that people don't even talk about here... I mean, a few people have. It's for med- medicinal, medicinal use, right? Yeah. And I know quite a few people who've been pushing that, especially with the Jinak um, mm-hmm. weed farms or whatever mm-hmm. happens there. You know, and we have a presidential aspirant. This is not his platform, because I think just yesterday I saw on Facebook him clarifying to say this is not a conversation he started Mm -hmm. he was asked about it and i think it's also from the point of oh he's a rasta person or he's a rasta man so let's ask him about the weed Mm -hmm. and so he was responding from his position and he was talking about you know the economic value it could bring to the country if we could look at other countries that have made it work because it's not a case of gam is going to trial it Mm -hmm. for the entire world it's already been trialed in other places and Mm -hmm. they're seeing what Mm -hmm. um, positive impact it has Mm -hmm. also with regards creating employment Mm -hmm. which is which well when you look at unemployment is back again to everything that we've been talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. as a root source of some of the reasons why people um, resort to drug use Mm -hmm. for release and so, um, I'm still waiting to see <laughs> what his um, policy plans are and really just understand what his program is. But I know this is something that it's, it sounds radical, mm-hmm. but again, we're talking about the social stigma and it could be a reason why people are like, they tie them for you legalize. So we're not going to legalize drug. The fire has in Halle and you know. And you know, the funny thing is, I, I raised this issue with someone who's a friend of his and the person said to me, he didn't even say that he was going to decriminalize. Yeah. decriminalize. Yeah. He said that 
if it were something that was he would support it yeah. mm-hmm. like he supports the I idea actually what that part of the press yeah, conference that he, that he was giving the, the examples yeah. of the different countries and how they were able to make it work mm-hmm. so it's not even a platform a for platform him but thing, everything yeah. you're getting from the media from social media is oh he is pushing for but that's the legalization Gambia. of cannabis and we need to sensationalize and, and people run with it and sensationalize mm-hmm. it and just misinterpret everything that wasn't what he said he just said that him personally mm-hmm. he's in support of decriminalizing it and like you know you go into our supermarkets we have all these hemp shampoo yeah. hemp hair conditioner hemp seed blah 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 <laughs> all of that that hemp is the tie that we criminalized here it's fancy. in this country hemp is fancy naming it's, so. it's a fancy name for it and we're importing all of these things and paying money for it when we have the raw material to mm-hmm. make for it and i've i've also spoken to someone who smokes um weed and the person said that actually the type that we have in the gamma isn't the one that makes you crazy or you mm-hmm. know makes you lose your senses that it's actually a milder version that the one that you know these uh, that, that that people use that gets them to a state of serious addiction is actually the ones that are imported into the country or not that only some of them are laced yeah yeah, yeah. that too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're laced yeah so if I feel if there's you know there's decriminalization and that wow no one can speak English today. <laughs> oof lord if there's decriminalization and then there's like actually regulating mm-hmm. of what's being sold and what's government mm-hmm. approved and what's not in the streets mm-hmm. then there's gonna be cleaner you know cleaner weed options mm-hmm. and stuff that are that is less harmful to your health and less addictive and so many other things so yeah so yeah, I guess we're all for decrim. <laughs> I mean, but because the world really, I mean, criminal laws around the world, you know, especially for Gambia. Criminal legislation is meant for poor people. Relics of colonialism, and those yeah. are things that mm-hmm. we don't talk about because a lot mm-hmm. of these laws are from colonial periods. And then they're repealing these laws, that and we're still stuck in the holding stuck them. And what's yeah. funny is we're always, oh, these laws are here to protect our cultures, when they're it's not. the very people who came to break our cultures Culture, yeah. that brought in these laws. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the conversations really really need to happen and what we are saying or i guess what we're getting from this whole thing is criminalization is not always a solution Mm -hmm. and it's not just for drug use it's Mm -hmm. for all of these crimes Mm -hmm. um that people are thrown in jail for especially in a country like gambia where prisons are not really about rehabilitation they're not about reform it's all about punishment 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 punishment. Mm -hmm. you come out if you do come out it's having to start all over over again again. no skills nothing at all Mm -hmm. um so that's a conversation something we need to keep talking about Mm -hmm. um something that we need to dig into but if not criminalization then what well, this is why I'm a big fan of abolition and so yep. <laughs> and just um the minute we focus on decriminalization, we will be able to divert our resources mm-hmm. to things that are actually going to improve the lives of people mm-hmm. instead of the police ten police hitting one person because they're on a drug induced psychosis. Why are we not in um investing more in researchers or even paying for people to go study psychology and psychiatry mm. to be able to come back home and deliver the care or even with the amount of social workers and nurses we have why are we not opening rehab centers that are focused on mm. that it, with um you know when we cut down with the police because there's way too many police in this country who are not <laughs> doing any jobs so they find it useful to just take she people in yeah for, for for no reason mm. but if you're giving them actual jobs that are helping benefit people's lives in terms of like you know making sure that they're trained to deal with dr- 
drug use is better and all of that then you're actually putting them towards better service versus like always look make, making them look like the enemy mm-hmm. um so yeah there's investing in the people investing taking that money and actually investing in the drug users themselves so developing again developing rehab facilities but facilities mm-hmm. are that are teaching people how to go back into the work that they're in or how to start new career paths so what basically what is there to offer post drug use hmm. because i know i um i've heard certain times where people are addicted to drugs and then their family because we have no rehab centers their family must take them to jail for like a month because yeah. that's supposed to serve as rehab yeah. but then with that you know with something like that the reuse rate is really high because you're not giving people the help that they need so instead of spending so much money trying to arrest every person trying to do this trying to do that i remember um last week at the trade fair i saw like three police with some guy that was clearly that clearly looked high and they were dragging him and it looked you know it was so violent where violence does not need to be the solution Mm -hmm. for stuff like this when we can you know put actually put our tax delicacy into something that will power the economy in the long run it's sad that I'm sounding so capitalistic by always going back to the economy versus, you know, obviously we're doing things because humans are humans and they deserve rights and they deserve to live happy, healthy, fulfilled lives. But also our governments are capitalist institutions and maybe if we focus on the economic perspective, they will be more likely, yeah, to do something for it. And I think it's so important that we also find studies around drug use in the country so even if it's you know qualitative studies with people who are using drugs as to what they need or um just research around what the percentage of drug use is because we're so quick to just be like i'm not he was high i'm not ugly more until this happened without really knowing the number of people that are using drugs at an addictive level and what can be done for them to ensure that they're not in the same you know they're not repeating the same offenses that they're repeating I think another point around um, so the the story you shared about the guy at the trade fair mm-hmm. just got me thinking around who we also have sympathies for when these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so when there's that violence, obviously they're violating the rights of that person mm-hmm. because they're inflicting violence on them, potentially harming them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reactions usually are just oh, Tyler, they used to cut it So you're labeling them, and because that's how we all see them as a society, you don't think that they're deserving of um, humane treatment mm-hmm. you don't think that they're deserving of enjoying their rights mm-hmm. and so everybody just folds their hands and leaves it as na policy deal mm-hmm. it happens even in our neighborhoods where they do the raids that mm-hmm. they do you know jumping people hitting them and inflicting a lot of violence sometimes even killing hurting them. them and nothing happens killing them because mm-hmm. everybody thinks oh they're trying to get rid of this menace in mm-hmm. our community or in our attack and again it comes back to the points we were making in that episode around the insecurity um, on retaliation mm-hmm. or um, protection or what what is it self-defense mm-hmm. so we always feel like oh the police are doing this for us but then we're not thinking what if it were us what if the police were also it's human beings they have the rights the rights are being violated but I think how we see people who use drugs mm-hmm. also really has an impact on how we sympathize or empathize with them mm-hmm. um, when they face the law or when the law deals with them in a way that actually violates their their basic rights. Absolutely. Our lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) No, first, uh, I agree with Hadi about abolition... What's it called? Uh, No, okay. 
I'll first talk about the prisons and uh, the rehabilitation, lack of rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I think to give the devil its due, right now they are trying to kind of shift towards that. Because mm-hmm. even with the prisons acts being amended, they're trying to look at um, enforcing non-custodial measures. So this is going to be in line with the, the criminal code and the criminal procedure code as well. So that for certain um, misdemeanors, small offenses, mm. you don't necessarily get to go to prison. You do something like community service mm. or after a few years, you'd be let out on parole or probation and things like that. And also, I also learned that even in the prison system itself, they have people coming in to teach you know yeah. some of the prisoners some skills and things like mm. that mm. so the amount of funding that the prison service has to do this at a larger scale now that's the issue mm. but they're actually you know doing that small scale so you, we have to give them uh, you know they do that they're trying small small <laughs> but there's also the thing where um in this country we're normally not ready to invest in things that are going to bring level revolutionary change right nobody wants the revolution yeah no, nobody wants the revolution so we know that okay giving the prison service for example um a machine that gets to do full body scans instead of you know putting your hands in somebody's body cavities and things like mm-hmm. that to do a search is going to protect that person's right you know to privacy and mm-hmm. things like that but then are we willing to invest those millions of dollars into that kind of machine or hundreds of thousands of dollars? No, we say, oh, we can't afford that. Mm-hmm. We don't tend to look at um, the larger scale or the bigger picture. We just look at now. Right now, we can't afford it. But we also live in a country where if 10 of us from the government needed to travel to China mm-hmm. for a two-day meeting, we will have the money to fund that. That fund would be available, but we're not ready to invest funds in changing our structures, changing our laws, changing the, the, the institutions that are responsible for implementing the laws, especially the prisons. Mm-hmm. The prisons is so severely underfunded, and that is where you find a lot of these people who are convicted for mm-hmm. drug use, people who are arrested for trafficking drugs or using and drugs. They, yes, they end up in the prison system on remand for years or for months or years. And then if they're convicted... They're also there for 10 years or so. Meanwhile, that place is is in hmm. such a derelict state mm-hmm. that, you know, so, like so have we, are we even willing to invest in these systems? And abol- um, abolition also begins from one place, dismantling or, 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 or fixing the root cause of the problem. We can't abolish or decriminalize drug use if we don't fix the problem we have in this country, that's mm-hmm. poverty. Mm-hmm. If we don't fix poverty, then you're just wasting time. We're just wasting our time, our resources, because we're just going to be going around in circles. Mm-hmm. You're going to have more poor people being engaged yeah. in the same thing. Why? Because their socioeconomic status is pushing them into doing that. Mm-hmm. And I also liked how Jama talked about rights violations, because in a lot of, or in some of these arrests and you know detentions and things like that, your rights are violated. Mm-hmm. You're arrested for drug trafficking. You're poor. You don't have any lawyer to help you out or anyone to bail you out. You're going to be languishing in jail for a week or more. So that's before, beyond the 72 hours. That's beyond the 72 um, hours. Legal, You're going to yeah. be there waiting for them to take you before mm. a court to press charges. And even then, you have a right to bail, but then you don't know how to apply for bail. So you're mm-hmm. just going to be there on remand, mm-hmm. and aside from that, the 72 hours and things like that, the procedure in arresting you, the torture, mm-hmm. you it could be someone who's not even resisting arrest that much, but imagine three people arresting one, one person. person. That's already not Is that reasonable force? Anything, yeah. The other day too, I was at trade fair and I saw two, two, I think one was a paramilitary officer 
and the other was a plain clothes officer. The paramilitary officer was carrying, you know, the rifles that they yeah. carry, and the plain clothes officer. And they were dragging someone towards the back as well. And, 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 and this guy was being held by uh, the chest. I don't know mm-hmm. how to say that in English. Do my English. But and they were dragging him away. And these are basic, basic things that happen in arrest procedures. They're going to hit you for just merely resisting. And it's normal for people to resist. So that the amount of uh, resistance, is it, um, uh, what's it called? Does it, the amount of force you're using, does it commensurate with the amount of resistance that you're facing from the person? It never does. Yeah. (laughs) Like, are you at any, are you in any form of threat that you would actually need to use violence against that person? And also your, your, your normal right to privacy. I'm walking down the streets. I don't look suspicious in any way. You don't, I don't look like a, a criminal suspect. Why are you stopping me to search me? You but know, what does a criminal you? look like? Yeah, they, they just look at you and just profile you. They don't, they are Especially if you, if, you, if you have locks. Oh yeah, like, like, like that, that's it for you. The people with locks, especially men with locks in this country, you walk past them and they automatically assume that you, you, you use weed and whatever hard substance. Meanwhile, you could be someone Kohana, you don't even smoke cigarettes, mm-hmm. but you're profiled and you're harassed and everything. So yeah, there's a lot of um, issues that come with criminalization, but it would not work unless we fix our problem in this country and that's poverty. We're a long way away, because yeah. <laughs> I don't think the people in Chad are actually interested in fixing that Mm-mm. or treating people as human beings in this country. But I think the general consensus, consensus here is um, we need to look at care services again. Mm-hmm. Um, what care services are available for people um, to go seek help? What um, initiatives or incentives are there such that people don't turn to drugs um, or turn to alcohol as a way of release, as a way of freedom from you know, their predicaments and the challenges and the struggles that they're facing. And even within our families, what support do we provide for um, people in the family? Because we see families where you start smoking and they kick you out of the house. Yeah. There's no support whatsoever. Already, you know, you're banished. You're out of it. Nobody has any respect for you. You're of no value. You failed completely. And so you find safety in communities where other people are using. And so that becomes your daily um, your daily activity. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who's listening to this, who has the power to initiate that change. Because um, I think Tanka Tanka is the one place that everyone is taken. Everyone is. And nobody even knows what resources are available there to deal with the different kinds of challenges that people are facing. There's none. There's like, well, let me not. From what I remember mm-hmm. from like a year or two ago, they had like two different medication that they usually gave to patients. One was for schizophrenia and another one was basically kind of like a tranquilizer. For everyone. Yeah. No, but it's sad because we, from what I remember, I don't know about now, but we had one psychiatrist in this entire country. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more now, but that was what it was. And um, there's no help yeah. is basically all I want to say. There's n- there's no help at all. And I I commend Tanganyika, of course, for having mm-hmm. that space where like Lumbon, Bon Bon, you're accepted within the, mm-hmm. and you're not roaming the streets and whatever little help you're getting is better than what you would have gotten outside, especially when your family deserts you. Mm-hmm. But we need to support institutions like that and we need to support more people who are, you know, doing the work with very limited stigma mm-hmm. attached to it mm-hmm. and just helping for the sake of helping mm-hmm. versus just sitting down and being judgmental about drug yeah. use and yeah. and stuff like that. Perfect way to get it, into. It seems as if also, sorry, before you get that, maybe things 
you know, I think we have a lot of young people who are also getting into this because uh, a few weeks or days ago, I saw Mom Oli. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a psych- I think she's a psychiatrist, right? Or a med- mental health professional in, um, in the UK. And I saw her tweet something about, you know, trying to do something for Tanka Tanka with, you know, other professionals that she's working with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we have help like that, I think it would make great, mm-hmm. it, it would be of great use because you see someone walking down the streets they obviously high and people are like kiweru ki dafa ni wind of ki dofla and i'm like dafa wa ki like i'm like they they're not they're not mentally ill they're just high on something and if they have the help they need for a certain period they'll be fine but also there's the whole um even though some of them are not mentally ill again this comes back comes back to the quality of drugs that we're using mm-hmm. or like what kind of brain chemistry you have yeah. you could go into um drug induced psychosis yeah. and we see that a lot in the mm-hmm. country too because a lot of people like it's you know certain drug use one time or twice and then you're done for. Mm-hmm. So there's that's also something else that we need to address which we can address through criminal decriminalization. <laughs> decriminalization is is the word. And um so we're talking about the people who are doing something. Mm-hmm. Um as little as it may seem, it's a drop in the pool or mm-hmm. a drop in the ocean. But it's even if it's making a difference in the life of one person, mm-hmm. um, that's a difference that we should commend. And mm-hmm. it's the perfect time to get into everyone's favorite segment, <laughs> the Muso of the Week. Um, so take it away, Hadi. So this week's Muso, um, she's a very good friend of mine. Love her very much, but I'm going to stay away from that bit and just focus <laughs> on her merits mm-hmm. as a, a really, really, really brilliant young woman mm-hmm. so our muso for this week is Ajige, aka the founder of ford for you mm-hmm. if you don't know ford for you is an organization in the gambia that um does a lot around mental health especially in um destigmatizing what mm-hmm. someone that's mentally ill looks like mm-hmm. so it's a lot of conversations around it raising funds for tanka tanka specifically in terms of renovation in terms of food mm-hmm. even this past eid um there was a clothing drive mm-hmm. for um you know for the patients there to have eid clothes mm-hmm. and you know it's remarkable that in a country that thrives off of being conservative mm-hmm. there's organizations like this that are making it easier to talk about mental health mm-hmm. so um if this conversation today has interested you i would recommend reaching out to educate and forward for you and seeing ways in which you can help mm-hmm. and they can you know because they have links to tanka tanka they can tell you what's needed mm-hmm. and how to go forward from there or if you have expertise that you also want to share you know with them please 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 reach out um Ajige is a wonderful person for doing this mm-hmm. and even the Ford for you staff too mm-hmm. thank you for all the amazing work that you do like i said she's definitely someone <laughs> that i admire not just as you know a really smart woman but she's also a friend and a sister mm-hmm. and so shout out to you for being awesome and being <laughs> our muso this week yeah and i think one thing i want to point out about the team that i really love is the ethical use of media mm-hmm. oh yes um, cuz yes. that's something that i'm really passionate about mm-hmm. um and people don't want to hear it <laughs> but they are very very ethical in the way that they so you know people usually talk oh we're running a charity people are donating their money um we need to show them where the money is going showing your donors where the money is going doesn't mean taking pictures that reveal the identities of vulnerable people and putting it out there and i love how you and you see that it's a whole team thing it's mm-hmm. not just a one person thing it's mm-hmm. the whole team that's conscious of the fact that 
We're providing this support. Mm-hmm. We're already in a position of power over these people because we're bringing support to them and they're already looking to us as, you know, mm-hmm. so even if we were to go into the consent issue, mm-hmm. if you ask them, they would just say yes because mm-hmm. in that moment, mm-hmm. but I see how they go the extra mile to just make sure they respect the dignity mm-hmm. of the people that they're helping mm-hmm. and they really do service from a very very ethical point and that's that's something that i really really appreciate about mm-hmm. them so amazing. yeah musa of the week Ajigay, sending you a lot of love uh, like hadi said reach out and support forward for you a lot of wonderful work being done with little resources so put the resources there <laughs> this time we're not asking for money from Musso <laughs> we're asking you to support Musso cares about this yeah. so. so we're asking you to support um, Forward for You so yeah oh, yeah. thank you no thank you so much Adige for your service as you said I, I love Forward for You and the way they do things and you know I just wish them great things mm-hmm. so I think this this brings us to the end of this week's episode Thank you so much for staying on with us up till now. We appreciate you, you know, dedicating your time and your energy and everything to the Muso podcast. We're truly grateful. And if this topic is something that you're interested in and you want to share your feedback and comments or questions, of course, you know, you know how to do that. Reach out to us on our social media platforms. Yep. We're everywhere. (laughs) We're everywhere. You can't miss us at all. And if you want to like share private thoughts as well, our DMs are open. Um, Our emails are on the profiles as well. You can send us an email and we can carry this forward. If you also would like to get connected to Forward For You, we can also facilitate that. Mm -hmm. Hadi had mentioned um, if you wanted um, links to the resources as well. We are happy to provide um, those for you. So we're going to call it a day. But um, just before we do that, a very big thanks as usual to Ibu Jaite, right click, for producing this podcast with us free of charge um, and doing this week in, week out and making sure we're able to bring you really good quality content. Mm-hmm. Sending a lot of love to our two ICTs as well. I said to Jalo, I said to Suare. So IJ and Ida Susie. <laughs> Sending a lot of love to you, our Musos, um, for taking this journey with us and making sure the podcast is accessible to people who wouldn't traditionally be able to listen to it. So let's hear your thoughts. Until we come back next Monday, it's bye. Bye.